This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. With the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. What should the Jets expect from you? Um, a lot of wins. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso. This week, we're going to be joined by Michael Salfino. Uh, he is a writer for The Athletic, 538, um, among other places. We have a really good, wide-ranging conversation on a number of topics, kicking off with the Teddy Bridgewater trade, diving into McCagnan's draft history, how he's handled the quarterback position, expectations for Sam Darnold as a rookie, expectations for the Jets in general this year and heading into next offseason. Uh, definitely one of the better chats we've had lately. Uh, runs about 26 minutes and we'll dive right into it after this intro so make sure you give that a listen make sure that uh, you give Michael a follow on Twitter at Michael Salfino before we dive into everything want to again thank everyone for coming out to William McBride's for our watch party last week we're going to have another one on September 30th against the Jacksonville Jaguars we'll share more information about that in the turn on the Jets Facebook page and Twitter William McBride's is located at 6th and Grand in Hoboken New Jersey make sure to check them out for football and drink specials all season long. Our podcast is also brought to you by Razor Sport, R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Make sure to check them out. Join their member section if you're thinking of doing any gambling this season. Again, that's Razor Sport, R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T.com. Got all the promos and intros in in under 90 seconds. And we are now joined by tonight's guest, his second time on our podcast, Michael Salfino. He's a sports analyst for The Athletic, where he does fantasy sports. Also does coverage for the Wall Street Journal, 538. Got a very solid and active Twitter feed. Michael, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, man. I, I just don't know what to do with this Teddy Bridgewater jersey I paid $230 for last week, but maybe maybe I'll put it on eBay. I guess you were one of those people in my Twitter mentions the past four months demanding that Bridgewater start and saying I was absolutely insane for thinking that he wouldn't be the quarterback week one. I'm, I'm sorry to hear you were one oh, of those people. No. Oh, definitely not. Like, we had the podcast where I was like, Darnold is clearly going to start. It was like, you know, uh, I thought it was about a 90% probability back then. I mean, these guys start now. Seven of the ten guys um, in the last ten years who drafted top three overall started their first game. The other the other three started by, um, you, you know, game ten. Two of them started by their uh, fifth game. So... You know, this is just the way it goes. This is the league that we're in. I know the Browns are just insane with this whole Mayfield is not even considered to be, uh, you know, for uh, he's not even being considered for as the possible starting quarterback. But that's just the Browns for you. Yeah, I, I just don't get that. I guess it's a self-preservation thing. And Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams and the rest of those geniuses think if they go seven and nine with you know Tyrod instead of maybe five and eleven with Mayfield, which I don't even know if that's logically what would happen. I don't know if the gap's that big that it increases their chances of sticking around. But Mayfield's an older prospect. Like I, I don't know what you're waiting for. I think what he's learning exactly. by sitting on the sideline. It just it, it blows my mind every. I mean, I, I love Arnox this season. It's been very entertaining, but he is just in so far over his head. I just like don't get it. Yeah, draft Darnold if you want to go with the you know developmental guy. At least he's you know the youngest quarterback. He'll be the youngest week one starting quarterback in NFL history. Um, but but yeah, I mean the whole thing about drafting Mayfield was that he's plug and play, like he's ready to go. 
And I, I don't get it. It's kind of like the flow chart, you know? It's like step one, make Taylor the starter. Step two, go seven and nine. Step three, question marks. Like, then what? What, what comes after that? It just doesn't make any sense. But that that's the Browns. So today, obviously, the big news, Bridgewater gets moved for a third-round pick. The Jets also sent over a sixth back. I think when you factor in that six going back, the compensation basically lines up to what most of us expected. Uh, a lot of people were talking about a conditional fourth-round pick that could become a third. I think a third in itself was a little higher than most expected. And look... We're going to work through some of this on the podcast, and I've been pretty critical of McCagnin because they've been 5-11 and 11 the past two years and have missed on a lot of draft picks, but the process of acquiring the extra second round pick, using that to move up to get Sam Darnold, being aggressive enough to do that, and then yeah. finding a way to take Bridgewater on a cheap contract and then flip him before September for a third round pick – is very good work, and you know, you got to give credit when it's due. And when it all shook out, the Jets got the quarterback they wanted, and they got an extra third-round pick, which makes the price they paid to move up for Darnold hurt a little less. I wasn't someone who was overly worked up about it, but I know it was the thing that concerned a lot of people, uh, giving up you know that second-round pick. But now you have two threes. You got a little more flexibility. Outside of what else he's done, how do you feel about how McCadden's handled the quarterback position in the past you know twelve to sixteen months? Oh, he's done a, a great job. The 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 thing about this is this is like the classic GM uh, kind of responsibility. You know what I mean? This is more like sort of like overseeing the organization and making these big picture mo- uh, moves. The the problem that McCagnin has is kind of like at the at the director of player personnel level. Like his his scouting has has been poor. I mean, the Jets Jets have drafted poorly. So in a conventional like GM hierarchy, you would have a McCagnin doing things like he he did with the trading up, you know, for the for the pick that would that put him in a position to get Darnold, and doing the Bridgewater thing, like doing all those machinations, the Richardson trade, all of those things, and then you know he would be delegating a lot of the the drafting to uh, a real strong director of player personnel, and I don't know if that person really exists on the Jets. I know that's McCagnin's background, so maybe. Maybe it's kind of like, you know, when the coordinator becomes a head coach and he tries to continue to do the coordinating as opposed to just being the CEO of the organization. Yeah, I do feel like, you know, we can't see exactly what decisions were influenced by what, but since Mike Heimerdinger has been given a more prominent voice, the decision-making seems to have skewed a little bit in the right direction. And beyond the trades of the quarterback, I'm referring to, not overpaying for Demario Davis, not overpaying for Austin Safarian Jenkins, recognizing that those guys were replaceable starters and you know letting them walk and then finding other ways to potentially replace them long term. So, yep. look, I, I think quarterback is the most position in the sport. They just nail that. It makes a lot of other concerns and problems go away, and it does appear that to date, and it's very early, that there's more than enough reasons to be very optimistic about what is going on with Sam Darnold. He's going to start week one. We've kind of known this is going to be the case from the day they drafted him. It makes sense from a football standpoint. It makes sense from a business standpoint. It was always going to happen. So focusing down the scope just to September, what are your expectations out of the gate for Darnold and this team? They start at Detroit on Monday night, back home for Miami, 
at Cleveland Thursday night, and then at Jacksonville the following Sunday. So you get three teams who missed the playoffs last year, two teams who they beat last year, and then the Jaguars, who of course are in the AFC Championship, but a team the Jets did beat last year, although it was a home game for them and they were coming off the London trip. What are your expectations for Darnold and the Jets coming out of the gate? See, I actually think that the that Darnold could be serviceable and the Jets offense generally um uh okay like you know, you know in that sort of average averagey bucket sort of the that that middle of the pack i'm really worried about the defense though, despite all those number one picks you know they they don't they seem to have a solution now or, or at least the likelihood of a solution at the most important position in the game but they have absolutely no hope as the roster stands right now at the second most important position in the game assuming you agree with me which is pass rush yeah, I mean, the pass rush, it's abysmal right now. And, you know, you miss and you neglect the spot for so long, this is what you get. You get a group of special teamers, basically, as your outside linebackers, and you have to try to manufacture a pass rush by the blitz. Now, the rumors are that the Jets are serious players for Khalil Mack. I think getting an extra third-round pick certainly helps in that cause. They definitely have the money to pay the, pay him, and I'm all for being aggressive and going after him. He is. Would you do the? Would you do the one and the three? Like, I would do that. I would do that three that you just got and next year's one, no worries, because it just sets up perfectly financially. Um, you have Darnold so uh, cap-contained for those four years that you would presumably be paying Mac, and then I would just hand Mac like $75 million for four years. Be done with it. Yeah, I, I think Mac is good enough at an important enough position where you make that kind of move. He is arguably the best defensive player in the NFL, and he is arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL. And it's the best. And then the Jets would be a nine-win team. Oh yeah, I, I, you like, add Mac yeah. to this roster. The expectation in my mind is that they are a wild card team in the AFC because the AFC is such crap once you get past New England and Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. Right. I guess to an extent that there's going to be another team who was like Buffalo last year who gets in as the sixth seed, and you're like, that was really a playoff team? The Jets could win nine games, I think, if you add Khalil Mack, because that has the trickle-down effect of making the cornerbacks better, making Jamal Adams and Marcus May better, making Leonard Williams better. He, he is that type of player. He's that good. Like He's in the yeah. discussion for one of the five best players in the league. So you're, the odds of you getting somebody as good as him with your first-round pick next year, which I don't know, could end up being in the 7 to 12 range, is probably not that high. So I would not be shy about making that type of deal because in my mind it's like you get your quarterback and you get your pass rusher, let everything else fall in place, and they'll still have cap exactly. space to spend you, you next work year. work it out. Yeah. Right, and you would have a ton of cap room still. And the thing that you mentioned about Williams, you know, I got a lot of pushback on Twitter this week because I was like, look, I mean, he's not a bust really, but he's not – he's certainly not a hit. I mean, he's – He's a, a marginal bust when you consider the, the cost of drafting him, considering that he's really not providing even like a Sean level, Ellis level of pass rush. And I just think that Williams, who I think is a real solid professional, needs to be kind of like, he's kind of like the rhythm section. He's not the lead guitarist. Like, this defense needs that guy. They need the guy, you know, that, that can just, you know, um, take the spotlight and, and make the big game-changing plays. 
Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm aligned with you on the Williams point, and I tweeted something pretty similar the day after, and I think the thing with Williams is that he is a, is a good NFL player, arguably a very good one, and he's a plus starter, but the, the argument against taking someone like him with the sixth overall pick is that because of his skill set and the position he plays, there's not enough positional value. So the fact that the Jets, as it stands now, have the worst pass rush in the NFL, but they took a front seven player with the sixth overall pick three years ago is somewhat of an indictment on him. And the fact that he needs further support to elevate his play is somewhat of an indictment on him. So good players need a supporting cast to reach their potential and be consistently disruptive. Elite players, great players, players you get in the top 10 in the draft, they overcome crappy surroundings and they still find a way to produce. So yeah, he's getting a lot more double teams, but all we heard was, well, he's the best player in the draft. He's a generational player. This is a slam dunk pick. If he is that, it doesn't matter if he's getting double teams. He still should be getting 9 to 10, 11 sacks a year. He's just not that right. guy. He's I'm not even sure. Through his first three years, he has not been as good as Sheldon Richardson or Muhammad Wilkerson. Now, hopefully his next three or four years go much better than it went for those guys, and I think he's a higher character he's guy. So I don't think – yeah, he's yeah. very young too. Draft young, please, God. And this, is what, this is why you do that. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what kind of contract is he looking at from the Jets after this season? I know, and that Jets have to make that decision because, you know, they have to pick up that fifth-year option. And when you're talking about, you know, the average salary of whatever it is, the top five players at his position or top ten, whatever the rule is, that's going to be that's going to be a lot of money. I mean, the Jets have a lot of money, so they'll probably do it, especially for the one year. And like you said, he is a high-character guy, and he is definitely a solid professional. But, um, you know, you, they, they have to figure out what the plan is at pass rush. And I just, I mean, I would take, like, Fowler right now. Like, if you can't, if the max thing isn't going to work out, give me Fowler. Like, just give me something where there's hope. Yeah, I you know I agree with that, and I'm curious to see like if he does get moved, like what what is that cost? But they're just so barren in pass rush, and it, it's it's a shame because it's gonna you know hold them back in probably a couple winnable games this year. And there's gonna be games where I think Darnold and the offense play really well, and this team's just gonna get outscored because they're not gonna be able to get to the quarterback. And I think where it's really going to hit, because I think if you look at the first 8-10 to 10 games of this, this schedule, it's pretty favorable for the Jets. This feels like the kind of year where I could... It reminds me almost of 2013, I think it was a little bit, where they were 5-4 and four through 9 games. Everyone was like, whoa, is this team actually going to be a playoff team? And then down the stretch, reality kind of sets in a little bit. And their last 6 games, I think... Tennessee, Houston, Green Bay, two against New England. I can see them being like five and four again and then kind of bottoming out down the stretch and finishing yeah. seven and nine or six and ten. Because when you're playing Rodgers, you're playing Watson, playing Brady, and to a lesser extent when you're playing Mariota, that lack of a pass rush, uh, it's going to kill them in those games. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I mean, it's, it's just, would you, do, would you do Robbie Anderson in the second round pick for Fowler? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, wait, the Jets are giving up a second round pick and Robbie for Fowler. Uh, no, oh, oh, well, I guess I guess the proposal was Robbie Anderson for Fowler and a second round pick. That, what about just Robbie Anderson straight up for Fowler? Would you do that? As it stands now, my gut reaction to that is no, because I think Anderson yeah. last year was a better player. My concern is. Is Anderson going to get another contract from the Jets? And I like he's not going to get suspended this year. But in the building, do they feel? Do we know that though? Couldn't the NFL like wake up one morning and just 
you know, knock them for like two or three games and we would be like, oh, yeah, that happened. I mean, that that is a good point and that maybe that could happen. I, I just don't know if, you know, to that point, like, did the Jets feel good enough about him within the building to give him a second contract? And if they're not going to give him a second contract, then you look at doing that type of move. I don't think you do it right now because you want to give Darnold as much help as possible. And if a new yeah, gets banged I, I, up again or Pryor gets banged up again, now all of a sudden you're you know you're dealing with you know a thin group at, at receiver. So he hasn't looked great this preseason, which I'm a little concerned about because I've been pretty bullish on him. Hopefully he gets it he's together. Not a practice player supposedly though. Yeah, which again like. It factors in. Like, are you gonna, you know, you're gonna give him one of these massive deals? If he, I mean, he very well may go out and have 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns this year because he is a great vertical receiver and could get down the field. And that's not necessarily Darnold's strength, but all it's gonna take is, you know, two or three 50-yard touchdowns from Darnold to Robbie Anderson, and you know, fans are gonna be going crazy about making that a connection for the next five to seven years uh, because they yeah. just haven't had explosive players on offense. Uh, I. I just still wonder if Jacksonville is ultimately going to move Fowler. I wonder if a guy like Shane Ray is on the market. I wonder who shakes free on the waiver wire. I kind of feel like the Jets are going to be stuck with what they have. And what they have yeah, is me too. not good. I mean, who do you think leads this team in sacks if we put Leonard Williams aside? I think it's going to be like, you know, Adams or something. I mean, you know, especially since my 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 understanding and my impression is he's going to be playing more like as a de facto linebacker because the Jets linebackers just can't cover to save their lives. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that's where it's going to hurt. I think the second level of this defense is, is very problematic, and that includes Darren Lee, which let's let's have a bit of a bigger discussion about McCadden's draft history. So I think great work at the quarterback position, great work with these trades. He's even been consistently good with trades. I mean, I, like, say what you will, but you know, getting what they got for Brandon Marshall for a fifth-round pick, you know, when you basically should have made the playoffs that year, that's worked out. The Sheldon trade, the Bridgewater trade. So, you know, we're to- looking at roster cuts. And if we're being realistic based on what we've seen from this summer, the following guys should all be cut not in the 53-man roster. Lorenzo Malden and Deion Simon, which means no one's left from the 2015 class except for Leonard Williams. Yep. Justin Burris from the 2016 class should be cut. We know Christian Hackenberg's already gone, so that's two of your first four picks. Darren Lee is still not proven to be an average starter, at least, and he was your first-round pick. And then Jordan Leggett. Uh, probably does not deserve a spot. Actually, I would say definitely doesn't deserve a spot from what we've seen. And then Chad Hansen and Ardarius Stewart. Stewart gets a bit of a mulligan because he has a two-game suspension. But does he really have a rookie? Yeah, does he really? And another rookie who's old and banged up. That Alabama, that Alabama prospect. I, I just think like you can make a case for like seven of those guys to be let go, and that has a trickle-down effect to your depth, your special teams. I mean, what what has been the deal with these? You know, kind of mid and late round. No, those are again a lot of times they're dart throws, but there's been a lot of a high volume of those misses. I would say. I'm going to say something that sounds a little hedgy, but I do think that there's a large random component to draft success. If you look at it, it's it's, it's very unusual for a general manager to consistently draft well. I mean, usually they make their bones on like one or two, um, one great draft and one okay draft, and then the rest of their drafts are kind of average. So, you know, maybe it's kind of, I'm, I'm not going to say there's no skill involved, and I'm sure, because I'm sure there is, but maybe it's like a 55-45 thing where, you know, as long if you're in the ballpark with certain guys, and I don't remember 
too many people saying, oh, my God, the Jets drafts are just so horrible, right? Like, there's no, there's been no, like, Jeff Lagerman reaction to any of their picks. And the ironic thing about when the Jets picked Lagerman, I, I mean, he actually turned out to be a good pick. I mean, he was an overdraft, but he was a good player. So uh, I think what I'm trying to say is that I think McCagnin is largely, has mostly gotten unlucky. And there, there is a chance, even with his recent history, that he could have a good draft next year and probably as good a chance as even if he were to be replaced. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Darnold selection and how I think Darnold will play this year, which I think will be pretty good and exciting going into 2019, I think he's got himself at least another year or two of job security. Bowles, I think, look, I, I understand Bowles is not I, someone who yeah. he's easily excited about. I think he's done about a C- minus to a D-plus so far. What do you think of the coaching staff in general? Uh, I mean, I have not seen anything from Casey Rogers to make me think he's anything but Todd Bowles' buddy who does not necessarily merit a job here anymore. Special teams has been a revolving door. I'm intrigued by Jeremy Horrible. Bates. Uh, you know, a me lot too. of people are you know are very excited about him. There's a lot of good chatter when, about when him. When Mike Shanahan likes you, then I like you. Yeah, so I think like he could be an upgrade over Morton, who I think at times was pretty good, but ultimately uh, was hated in the building apparently, and that, that's a problem when you're trying to coach an offense. I don't think they wanted him around their young quarterback, so I'm curious to see what Bates could do with this offense. With Bulls, I feel like if they exceed five wins, which I, I do think they will, I think they'll probably go about seven and nine, I think they bring him back unless someone surprising ends up on the market. I just get the vibe from ownership now has it's constructed that they're going to want to go more the stability route with McCagnan and Bowles. And if the Jets go 7-9 and nine and they're 7-7 seven and seven or something late in the year and they're playing somewhat meaningful games, I think the thought is going to be that, hey, we did this in year one of Darnold. Year two, he's going to be that much more experienced. We're going to have $100 million yeah. to spend. We're going to have a first-round pick as it stands now. Let's let Bowles get a shot to run it back. And that may be right. It may be wrong. I don't know if Bowles or McCadden are the guys who are going to lead this team to a Super Bowl. But my expectation is that they're going to be here in 2019. What do you think? If Darnold has a good year, you might have to make a move just to keep Bates. Um, you know, especially considering the respect that Mike Shanahan has for him, which has a lot of currency in the NFL based on, you know, people that I talk to. Um, I, I think the big problem, I think, with the Jets' hier uh, hierarchical uh, hierarchy is, like, their structure. I don't like the GM reporting to the owner and the coach reporting to the owner. Like, that's crazy. The GM should be over the coach, you know? So, um I think it's just like a recipe for for disaster and just like not really being on the same page. I think that that those people have to work together, and the NFL is a top down, you know, sort of militaristic structure. And so the GM should just be over the coach, just like the coach should be over his assistants. Yeah, I think it's a not it's definitely not a traditional sort of hierarchy as you laid out, and that could potentially, if it has not already lead to problematic situations. I think, you know, we've gotten ourselves to a point where, you know, Darnold's going to start week one. I think a lot of people had the perception that, well, Bowles is going to demand that Bridgewater and McCown play because he's trying to win games. I was under the thinking that they were probably going to win a comparable amount of games no matter who of the three quarterbacks it was. But I think, right. yeah, with Bowles, 
yeah, if they win a certain amount of games, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Bates if he gets a head coaching job elsewhere. If he wants a head coaching job, we know he took that sort of weird hiatus from football for a while and was hesitant initially on taking the job, or if he wants to keep working with Darnold. So I, a lot of it, again, everything keeps coming back. It, it's Darnold, yeah. really. Yeah, like if Darnold, if, if the impression of the Jets is, wow, this is a team on the rise, and, uh, and Darnold looks like um, one of the next handful of next great quarterbacks in the NFL, then I think Bates is is probably going to be a guy who can um, get a get a job. I agree. So, final question here before we let you go from a from a statistical standpoint. Got the, I got this question today, and I haven't put a lot of you know thought into it yet. And I started thinking about it today when I saw some of the player over unders. What is the stat line that you're expecting from Sam Darnold this year? Game started, yards passing, touchdowns, interceptions, maybe like rushing yards and, and any other like turnovers or fumbles associated with that. Like, what's a rough baseline of what you're expecting from him? I would say that uh, I'm expecting you know 15 to 16 starts. I don't think he'll he'll. It's hard to project an injury at the quarterback position. There might be a game where he ha- if he has a rough spot, they might want to just like you know, give him a week to just kind of like get his head together. So that's why I would say like 15 starts. I, I don't think that they're really going to uh, be in a position where they can um, uh, make him a game manager, a la like what they did with uh, Mark Sanchez, because the defense isn't going to be good enough. So I would say that he'll probably end up with about 470 attempts. I would, I would say a good year for Darnold would be to be around average um, in in uh, passer rating and in yards per attempt. So let's give him about average there. Like call it like six point nine and you know seventy nine passer rating. That that would be that you know that would be like meeting your expectation basically, meeting your earnings report. And um, I would say you know probably something like um, sixteen touchdowns, twelve picks. You know maybe 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 a little bit more touchdowns because I like the Jet skill players. Maybe twenty touchdowns and and uh, you know fourteen picks, something like that. Yeah, that I think to that, me, yeah. that to me would be a good year if he did that. You know. Yeah, I think so. that sounds about right. I think I think he's looking at what we've seen from the offense so far. I feel like he's going to crack or be right at sixty percent completion percentage. I could see him just getting over twenty touchdowns. Hopefully, he keeps the interceptions under you know like fourteen or fifteen, somewhere under there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think if he starts 15 or 16 games and gets that experience and puts up numbers like that, everyone's going to feel good and be excited. That's like a Carson Wentz season. season, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And I think, look, Wentz was up and down, uh, and the way it clicked for him in year two, also how they built around him, you know, in year two. They made all those additions. They added Alshon Jeffrey, they added Torrey Smith. Uh, they built up the trenches on both sides of the ball. Next offseason is really like. Next year will be the first time in a very long time, what feels like a very long time, that the expectation is going to be you need to make the playoffs or you need to compete with New England for a division yeah. title depending on what happens with Brady or you know whatever with Belichick this year. But next year, the expectation is playoffs are bust in my mind because this drought is getting the point of being ridiculous. I don't think it's fair to put playoff expectations on them for, on them for this year. I think the goal is probably... See if you can get to five hundred and stop being five and eleven every year. But next year, in my mind, is like the money year to like where you got to have it break through. And and I think that the important thing in in watching Darnold aren't really the full season stats. You're just looking for those um, um, two games, hopefully at least one game where you know maybe in the second half of the year where you can see you know the the sort of like at least the the uh, um, 
the hint of greatness, you know, the whiff of it a little bit, kind of like in Peyton Manning's rookie year. And Manning set the NFL interception record uh, as a rookie with like 28 picks. But he had that one game against the Jets who won the AFC East that year and were a really good team with Parcells where he beat the Jets 24-23 in Indianapolis. And that game, he threw three touchdown passes. Jets were a good team. And it was like, okay, this guy is probably going to be pretty good. So you're just really looking for, you know, at least one or two games like that where where you could really move into the 2019 season and feel bullish about the Jets' prospects. And more importantly, where you could signal to free agents that this is a team on the rise. Absolutely. Hopefully that late-season performance comes against New England, get a little upset, yeah. <laughs> knock them out of home <laughs> field advantage or something like that. Uh, that, w- that would be a positive. All right. Everyone, go follow Michael on Twitter, at Michael Salfino. Appreciate you joining us. We'll have to talk uh, once we get a few weeks under our belt here and see uh, see how our boy Darnold's playing. Exactly. My pleasure, man. Okay. So, Thank right. you. Thank you.